Hi. I'm Nathan, and I'm a sinner. You're supposed to say, hi, Nathan. Hi, Nathan. Man, let me try this again. Hi, I'm Nathan, and I'm a sinner. Hi, Nathan. All right, made me feel better there. Hey, um, that, that song had a lot of truth in it, didn't it? That goodness of God song. And would you thank Shire for leading that? Did a wonderful job, beautiful job. Thank you for leading that. If you have your Bibles, go to, uh, do I need to go over to handheld mic, Jay? Do I need to go to handheld? Okay. Every year, Smitty and his wife, Martha, would go to the state fair. And every year, they would see this airplane ride at the state fair. And, and Smitty would say, hey, Martha, I, I want to ride that airplane. And she would say, uh, you can't ride it. It's $10. And $10 is $10, you know. And so every year, he'd, they'd come back and he'd say, I want to ride that their airplane. And she'd say, you can't ride it. $10 is $10, you know. And finally, one year, he was 71 years old. And he looked at his wife, Martha, said, Martha, if that there airplane, I want to ride it so bad. If I don't ride it now, I'm 71 years old. I'm never going to be able to ride it. And she said, no, $10 is $10, you know. And the pilot was standing right there, and he overheard the conversation that those two were having. He said, hey, I, I tell you what, I'll give you guys an airplane ride for free if you don't make one noise, one sound, not one word comes out of your mouth, not one peep, not one scream. I'll give you the ride for free. But if you make one sound... I'm going to cost, or I'm going to, I'm going to charge you $10. And they, they agree to it, and they go up, and the pilot starts doing turns and dips and dives and flips, going as fast as he can, trying to get them to scream in the back. No matter what he did, he couldn't get a noise out. And they finally land, and he turns around, and he looks at Smitty, and he said, by golly, I did everything I could to get a, to get a scream or a sound out of you, and not one peep. And that's when Smitty replied, well, I was going to say something when Martha fell out, but $10 is $10, you know? <laughs> and so... Now, here's, <laughs> some of the husbands were like, yes, finally. <laughs> here's what has happened this week since last Sunday. Somebody's been whispering in your ear, 10% is 10%, you know. You know what else you could do? <laughs> That's the truth. Oh, he's going to spiritualize that story. You know what you could do with that 10%, right? You know how you could save it, right? You know how you could invest it, right? You know what else you could be doing rather than giving it to God, right? And they've been whispering in your ear that that preacher last week was full of it and that God's word last week was wrong. And, and Satan, that's who it was, who was whispering, has been whispering the same thing he whispered to Adam and Eve at the beginning of time. Did God really say? Did God really mean? Was that really a promise? Is that really a big deal? Could you feel it by Thursday, Friday, Saturday? If... If you hadn't pulled the trigger yet by Monday or Tuesday, it was a lot harder by Thursday, Friday, or Saturday last week to follow through on the commitment that so many made last week. We're going to learn something about money today, but before we dive into the spiritual aspect, did you know, I was reading some this week, did you know that your money is dirty? Oh, yeah. yeah, it's dirty. 90% of your bills has traces of cocaine on the bills. Now, I don't want anybody pulling it out and sniffing this morning and... <laughs> Hey, no, that, that would not be good. The flu virus can last 17 days on the bills that you carry. You know how you go through the checkout line and sometimes you're holding too many things so you pop the bill in your mouth to hold it? That's over. <laughs> That's over. Cocaine or the flu, and I don't know. Uh, paper money is dirtier than your toilet. And I was thinking about that when I, when I read that this week, that your paper money is dirtier than your toilet. I was thinking, so if you had the choice to lick money or the toilet, you should pick your toilet at home. That's just the way my mind works. 
And so, aren't you glad you came to church today? You, you wouldn't have learned all of this information about your money. You're going to pray for me. <laughs> and I've been praying for you, Jim. No, no, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. Well, we don't, as, as uncomfortable as all that is, whenever we bring up money in church, it's more uncomfortable. And I don't get that. And sometimes the attitude is, you know what, we can talk about a lot of things in church, but we're not going to talk about money. And the second the preacher says, how are you handling your money? Internally, we say, well, it's none of your business. That's what we think, isn't it? And the reason we say it's none of your business and the reason we get uncomfortable and the reason we don't want to hear it is basically because of two misunderstandings. The first misunderstanding is a misunderstanding of ownership. If you are uncomfortable with the topic of money in church, it is probably because you think your money is your money and you have forgotten whose money it actually is. An unbeliever, a non-believer in Jesus Christ by the name of Stephen King. You know who Stephen King is. Uh, wrote all those books and those scary movies that have kept me up at night. He put it this way, not even a Christian, but he reasoned this out. He said, a couple years ago, I found out what you can't take it with you means. I found out while I was lying in a ditch at the side of a country road covered with mud and blood and with the tibia of my right leg poking out the side of my jeans like a branch of a tree taken down in a thunderstorm, I had a MasterCard in my wallet but when you're lying in a ditch with broken glass in your hair, no one accepts MasterCard. We all know that life is finite, but on that particular day and in the months that followed, I got a painful but extremely valuable look at life's simple backstage truths. We come in naked and broke. We may be dressed when we go out, but we're just as broke. Warren Buffett, going out broke. Bill Gates, going out broke. Tom Hanks, going out broke. Stephen King, broke not a crying dime. All the money you earn, all the stocks you buy, all the mutual funds you trade, and all that is mostly smoke and mirrors. It's still going to be a quarter past getting late, whether you tell the time on a Timex or a Rolex. No matter how large your bank account, no matter how many credit cards you have, sooner or later, things will begin to go wrong with the only three things you have that you can really call your own, your body, your spirit, and your mind. Now, here it is. So I want you, this is a non-Christian thing, I want you to consider making your life one long gift to others, and why not? All you have is on loan anyway. All that lasts is what you pass on. Now, he's not even a Christian, and did you catch that? All you have is on loan. Now, he didn't get to the next step of who loaned it to him, but just by reasoning skills, just by using his brain, he figured out on the side of a ditch, this isn't mine. This has been given to me. Now, let me tell you whose it is. He didn't get there, but we will. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14 puts it this way. Look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So it's not just that we come here in church and we say, yeah, it's God's. I know it's God's. It's not mine. It's God's. It's actually that we don't walk into church and say it's God's and then walk back out to my car and drive my car to my house and grab my mower to mow my lawn, it's actually having a change in our heart and mind, admitting that's not my car, that's not my house, that's not my lawn, those aren't my kids, that's not my wife. They all belong to him. And that'll change the way we look at the topic of money. So there's not only a misunderstanding of ownership, there is also a misunderstanding of the Christian faith. 
of Christianity in general. Last week, we talked about that most people view life as a dresser, and there's several drawers of a dresser, and, and one drawer is labeled relationships, and one drawer is labeled work, and one drawer is labeled faith, and another drawer is labeled marriage, and another is labeled hobbies, and another is labeled money. And when we come to church, we open the drawer called faith, and when we leave church, we close the drawer called faith. But you don't come to church and open the drawer called money, or you're going to get your fingers slammed. And in reality, if you think that faith is one of the drawers of your life, then you're not living in the Christian faith. You're a part of a different faith. That's not the Christian faith. The Christian faith is when faith is the entire dresser. And if we have a misunderstanding of that, this topic will be uncomfortable. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4 puts it this way. When Christ, who is your entire dresser, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Our faith in Christ is not a drawer to be opened and closed. It is our entire life. And so what we're going to talk about this morning is God's strategy for giving. For New Testament Christians, God has a strategy for our giving. And I want to give you three elements that we find in the New Testament about how God taught us to give. The first one is this word that starts with the letter T. It is the word tithe. It's an Old Testament word that is only used once in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 23. Does anybody remember from last week what percentage tithe actually means? Anybody remember? 10%. Several of you remembered. Tithe is a word that it, it, it just means 10%. That's what the word means. Now, what some, what, what some people balk at is 10%. That's a lot. When in reality, 10% should be the floor of our giving, not the ceiling of our giving. We shouldn't be trying to rise to 10%. It should be the starting point of our giving. And let me just tell you, there's some things I didn't share from the Old Testament last week that I'm going to share this week about the tithes. Be glad that you weren't an Israelite in the Old Testament, because here's the truth. The Israelites did not have one tithe. They had three tithes, three ten percents. And here's what they are. They are called the Levitical tithe, the festival tithe, and the poor tithe. Ten percent went to the Levitical tithe, which was given to the the Levites, the priests who were spiritually feeding them. The second 10% would go to the festival tithe, the religious occurrences, the rituals, uh, the hooplas and the different festivals that they would have in the year. And then there was a third 10% that went to the poor. They would give that tithe every three years. They wouldn't give it every year, but they'd give it every three years. And if you do the math, that means that 23.3% of your income right off the top the first part of 23.3% of your income would go back to God. However, the Old Testament does not stop there. There were other mandated gifts given to the homeless, paying fees for certain events, regular taxes on the land, and most scholars agreed that when you put all of it together, most Israelites were giving 33% back to God when it was all said and done. One out of $3, not one out of 10. And so we balk at one out of 10, when if God was to have his way and God was to have a nation, which he did and he does, he would do one out of three. The order was important to them as it is to us today. There was a word we learned last week called first fruits. Everybody say first fruits. It indicates an order of our giving. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits, not last fruits, of all your crops. Key word, first fruits. 
Exodus chapter 23, verse 19 says, bring the best of your first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. So I want to illustrate this this morning about how the typical American handles their giving, and, and we're going to handle it with four different buckets. And last week we talked about how the typical American Christian handles their money, but this is just the typical American. There are basically four buckets that the typical American uh, puts their money in, and the order here is on purpose. The first bucket is spend, the second bucket debt, third bucket save, fourth bucket give. The first bucket that the typical American uses their money for is spending, and that means going to the mall, that means going to the movies, that means going on vacation, that means your mortgage, your rent, your power bill, your electric bill, your natural gas bill, your water bill, the ridiculous amount of money that it costs to, to pay Little League in, 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 in Katy, Texas, um, and, and the, different, the different things that we simply spend money on, the candy bar, the, the drink, the, the restaurant, and all that stuff. And the first bucket that we put our money in is the spend bucket. The second bucket is actually a subcategory of the first one, and that is called debt. It's the stuff that we spent that we didn't have the money for yet, and so we put it into that bucket. Now, if you just draw a line in the middle, the two buckets on the left, do you know what percentage the average American spends on the first and second bucket of their income? The average American, I'm not talking about Christian Americans, that was last week, the average American spends 110% of their income on the first two buckets. That's hard to do. <laughs> if, if you're very good at math, <laughs> 110%. Well, that doesn't work. <laughs> that's, that's the average American. So some spend 130, some spend 70. And so, you know, it averages, you know, not everybody in here is in that boat. And so if you have a little bit left over, you might put some into retirement. You might save some. You might put some in a savings account, an IRA, a 401k, or something like that. And then, and then, if there's any left over, we give. That's not first fruits. That's not the principle of the first fruits or the principle of the tithe. Now, what's interesting about those first three buckets, what do those first three buckets have in common? There is one thing they all have in common. Me, myself, and I. I'm spending those first three to serve me, to please me, to honor me. And then if I, if I happen to have anything else, then I'll throw some change to God. And we end up not tithing. We end up not first fruiting. We end up tipping God. There's way too many tippers who proclaim to be followers of God, who are giving the leftovers, who are giving the scraps. And he says, honor the Lord your God with your first fruits. The order matters. And we have a lot of tippers, but we don't have a lot of tithers. An interesting conversation that Jesus had, you've probably heard about it. Some Pharisees were trying to trick him up, and they said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And I never looked at this through the lens of money, but here it is. Jesus says the greatest commandment, you want to know what it is? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. Do you think that includes your money? Does that look like loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or is that loving me? Who's the God of the typical American? Me. That's what that shows. When we learn that there is no greater gauge of where we are spiritually than how we handle our money, and then we find out who our God is, who our idol is, the idol is me. We are here to serve me. We are here to honor me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. God should be most important. Others should be 
most important. So here's, here's the paradox of it all. We don't want to talk about money in church. Don't bring up my money. Don't talk about my money in church. That's my, that's my money drawer. Keep that at home. But when things get tight, who do we pray to? When we need to sell that house, who do we ask a blessing from? And when we need some help financially, and when we need that promotion, and when we want that raise, who do we go to? And we say, I'm not going to prioritize you, God, with the money you gave me, but you prioritize me with your money. I'm not going to honor you with your money, but you honor me with my money. And so we don't want to talk about it. But when it comes time where the rubber meets the road, we get down on our knees and ask God to bless us financially. You see how twisted that is? No wonder the greatest evaluator of where we are spiritually is the way we spend our wealth. Now, I read the first part of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, but let me read the rest of it. Here's what it says. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine, if you just give the first 10%. There's a second strategy of giving, and that is what is called sacrificial giving. Now, I need, to, I need to say this. Giving your first 10% is not a sacrifice. That's not sacrificial giving. Come on. Giving the first portion back to God, giving our first fruits back to God is not part of sacrificial giving. You give 10%, wow, what a sacrifice. That's not what the New Testament teaches or the Old Testament. The sacrifice is when we go above and beyond. Sacrifice is giving away what is precious to me for something that is more precious. Now, here's what's, what's interesting about these first two, and we're going to get to a third, but the first two is planned giving. You plan out your tithe, and you plan out sacrificial giving. That won't be true of the third one, but it is true of the first two. These first two are you sit down with a notebook, and you plan those first two out. You plan for tithing, you plan for first fruits, and you plan for sacrificial giving. Now, here's a verse that I don't think anybody has memorized, but it's in your Bible. I don't have it memorized either, by the way. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. On the first day of every week, what day is that? Sunday, Sunday. which means you should be where on Sunday? You can't do it if you're not there. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Now, that was above and beyond the 10%. He wasn't saying give, give to the church in Corinth. That's 1 Corinthians. He wasn't saying give to the church in Corinth. They were already doing that. Paul was coming in. He wanted to help the church in Jerusalem. He wanted to help some other struggling churches, and he wanted to start and plant some churches. And the only way to do that is with other believers. And he told them in a letter ahead of time, hey, you plan for this. Don't make it where I walk in on a Sunday morning and we all of a sudden pass the plates asking for a donation because what's going to happen when you reach into your pocket and give what you have left? He said, plan for it. Every week, plan for it. In your notebook, plan for it. And then give it every week. So that when I come, we don't have to pass the plate. And we can bless the plan for sacrificial giving. Written to the same group of Christians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, talks about our spirit in giving. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a... So it's not the... Yeah, fine. God loves a... Take it. I love that I can help the church. 
And then there's a third kind of giving. This isn't a planned giving. There's tithing, there's sacrificial giving, and there's spirit-prompted giving. This is the crazy giving. This is the unplanned. This is the Barnabas giving. You say, what's Barnabas giving? Also known as Joseph, and Acts chapter 4 describes it. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, what did he do? He sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. He didn't have it. He didn't have the money, so he had to go sell a field. You know why this church is here? You know why you're blessed today? You know why the Word of God can be preached here today? You know why we can sing the goodness of God today? Because there's been a whole bunch of people around this country do spirit-prompted giving, and they didn't have it. And they didn't plan for it, and it wasn't in their budget. And I sat in living rooms, and Doug sat in living rooms, and our wives sat in living rooms, and we told them about the ministry of Venture Christian Church, and they didn't have the money, and they said, we'll figure out a way. We'll sell something, we'll find something, we'll do something. But that is called spirit-prompted giving. You know how God has been planning churches from, from, for the last 2,000 years? Spirit-prompted giving. This was exampled in Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That, spirit, that, that wasn't a command for us. They're just telling us in Acts chapter 2, this is how they were getting things done. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 35, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed, now this is huge, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. That's back to the misunderstanding of ownership. They knew it wasn't their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how do you know God's grace was powerfully at work in them? How do you know? that there were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet. Acts chapter 11, verse 29, the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. That didn't seem planned. That seemed spirit-prompted. We had a guy who we went to, uh, I think Doug went to him, and I don't know anything about his finances, uh, but when he was asked to give to Venture Christian Church and to help start this thing, I, I don't know his financial situation, but here's what he did. He had been putting money back in, a, in the stock market. He'd been investing in the stocks, and he said, I'll give you my stocks. And he gave us his stocks. He actually gave it to Nexus, the organization behind the scenes, and Nexus took the stocks, they sold the stocks, and we got the money. That was spirit-prompted in the living room or on the phone or wherever it was. That was a man who said, I want in on that. And what I gather from these verses and what I gather from that man's gift and several others is that the same way God has been advancing his agenda 2,000 years ago, selling land and selling property and selling possessions is the exact same way he's doing it in 2019. Because there are people who are so invested in the mission of God that they are listening to the Holy Spirit when he prompts. I want to take the last seven or eight minutes, and I want, to, I want to tell you why Chelsea and I give. We give. Chelsea and I, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the number. 
I'm going to tell you next week why I'm telling you the number, because that seems a little off to tell you. I'll tell you next week why that's biblical. But we give 11% off the top, before taxes, before anything else, before property taxes of KDISD. <clears throat> we give 11% back to the church. I'm not talking about the other giving. I'm not talking about to the homeless. I'm not talking about to the poor. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about 11% right off the top. You need to know that. That's where we are right now. We've had times where we've given 10. 10 our floor. We've had times where we've given more, but we start with 10. Right now, we're at 11%. I want to tell you why. Number one, because Jesus was a, th- was a tither. And our entire plan in life is to follow Jesus, to be conformed in his image, to walk in his steps, to be as much like him as possible. We want to say, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, here's what he did. He tithed. He was living in Old Testament time. He lived before the cross. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, most of it is before the cross. It's Old, it's old Covenant. He would have obeyed the law. He was a tither, and so we tithe. Number two, we want God's blessing. Raise your hand if you want God's blessing. That's what the Bible says. You get his blessing when you give the full tithe. Malachi chapter 3, beginning with verse 8, puts it this way. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a, what's the next word? Curse. Your whole nation is under it right now because you are stealing from me. Verse 10 Bring the entire tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Next, next slide. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I believe him. I believe him. And when we first started, and I, I guess it, it would definitely be me before we got married, I had to, that was the verse. Do I believe him? Am I a Bible follower? Do I believe God's promise? And so what has happened, last Sunday, if you weren't here, you just need to know this, there was a 90-day tithe challenge card that we passed out. It was the Malachi 3, verse 10 challenge. It looked like this. We have some back at the communion table. Alex, if you can throw that up there, the, the picture, it looked like this. And we had 21 different people, 15 different family groups, fill out the 90-day tithe challenge card. Isn't that good news? That is called obedience. You can clap for that. You need to clap for obedience. All that was was saying this. Malachi chapter 3 gives you two options. It gives you option number one, you can keep 100% for yourself and live with the curse, or you can return 10% and live with the blessing. The choice is yours. And so we've chosen to live with a blessing. Number three, the reason we tithe is we want to set a good example. I don't want to preach on this and be a hypocrite. I don't want lightning to strike right now. Now, if a thunderstorm starts all of a sudden, I don't want you to think too much into that. But (laughs) I don't want to be a hypocrite in this. I'm a hypocrite in enough other things, so I don't want to be a hypocrite in this. Seriously, I want to be able to say and teach my children what giving back to God means, by example. I want them to be able to say someday when they are able to think this through, Dad, Mom, were you givers? And we want to be able to say, you betcha. Were you givers when times were tough? You betcha. Were you givers when you had it? Yes. Were you givers when you didn't? Yes. Were you givers when you didn't know where it come from? Yes. And when we answer that question, because I've asked that question to my parents, when they ask me, I want to be able to look them in the eye and say, we were. I want to set the example first and foremost to my family, to my kids, to my grandkids, your mom and dad, your grandma and grandpa, they're givers.
back to God. But I want to tell you the biggest reason, and it has nothing to do with Malachi 3.10, has nothing to do with the blessing for me. I want to tell you the most important reason why Chelsea and I give, and it comes in the form of a question. And here's the question, and I want you to ask yourself this question today. We may not have it up there. Okay, Here, here's the question. What is the best way to use the money God has given you? Have you ever asked yourself that? What's the best way to use God's money? What's the most important way to use your money? Have you asked yourself that question? Let me tell you our answer. Our answer is, we're going to use our money to bring people to heaven. We're going to use our money to save people from hell and usher them into heaven. Since God is using the church as the tool in which he uses evangelism and to bring people across the line of faith, I'm not against the feeding the homeless. I'm not against feeding the hungry. I'm not against clothing those who need clothes. I'm, I'm not against all those organizations. We're actually very much for those. We've started an anti-human trafficking or organization before. We've fed the homeless. We've clothed people. We've done prison ministry stuff. and get, We're for all of those things. But the number one place our money goes and the best use of our money is to bring people into the presence of God, period. And I don't care if he blesses me. I don't care if he doesn't come through on Malachi 3.10. And he will. He will. He does. He promised. He will. But I don't even care if there's a blessing. I want others in heaven. Amen? How many of you are with me on that? The best use of our money is to bring people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that means at times that 11% and above if that means at times that we don't have food in the pantry, then we don't have food in the pantry. We're doing just fine. Thank you very much. Don't laugh at that. And if that means that we don't go on vacation, well, for Pete's sake, how many people in the history of the world have been going on vacations? Not very many. And if that means we don't get the big house, or if that means we got to sell it and downgrade, and if that means we don't go to the movies, and if that means we don't get to be a part of that activity that all the in crowd gets to be a part of, I don't care. I want people in heaven. And if he doesn't pour back 50% out of my 10%, it goes right back in my bank account. And if the engine blows on our Toyota Camry, which happened two months ago, so $6,000 went out the drawer, I'm just telling you, the first question, how are we going to do it? Because we didn't have it. We're given for heaven's sake. We're not cutting that out ever. And by the way, you want to help the homeless? You want to help the poor? You want to help the sick? Give to the church. You know who starts hospitals? Churches. You know who starts that homeless shelter? Churches. You know who starts CR? Christians. You know who starts the orphanage? Churches. You want to bring healing to the world? You bring it to the feet of the apostles through tithing, through sacrificial giving, and through spirit-prompted giving. You want to be an investor in something that lives on past this earth? Man, stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about others and think about their soul and think about what really matters. And when it comes down to it, and God says, who gave to Microsoft and who gave to heaven? And I'm not against giving to Microsoft because I'm thinking about it right now, but that's besides the point. But I want to be able to raise my hand and say, I invested over here. 
then I never pulled out my investment over here. And if that means we go broke, then we'll go broke. But this is what matters the most. Because my God is a giver. For God so loved the world that he, he gave. His only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being the greatest giver who would not hold back your best. You tell us to give, us, to, to give you your best, and you gave us your best. You gave us your son, Jesus Christ. May you minister to us today. May we be a head, heart, hands church, not, not just by words, but this is a hands thing this morning. And so would you convict us? Would you press on us? Would you lean on us where we have been disobedient, where we have been stealing from you? If there's some areas where we've been robbing from God, would we step up and say, I want this to be real. We're not just playing church. We want to be obedient to the living word of God. And we know this, you bless us. You told us to test you in that. You'll bless us. But Father, may we ask each of ourselves the most important question, what's the best use of our money? Where can I invest it in a place that'll always live on past me? It's in Jesus' name we pray.